0: My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see you, especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in our house. Well, it's, um, it's Palm Sunday and we uh, like to traditionally do as the church has done, which is to recognize what happened in history in Scripture and that the people were excited, so excited in Christ's day about his coming into Jerusalem and the potential of him setting up a kingdom that would benefit them, his messianic rule, the influence he would have over society, particularly Rome and Herod's rule, who ruled over the Jews, that they did not want either his feet nor the donkey upon which he was riding to touch the earth. And so they spread out their coats and laid down palm branches. Because they thought he was above the earth. He was not earthy. He was ascended in his rulership. Um, Unfortunately, their, their intent didn't work out as well in the end as it started. Indeed, Christ's rule was ascended. They just didn't know how high. And so they laid down palm branches on, say, a, a Saturday or a Friday. Yeah, f- Saturday would have been the Sabbath, so maybe a Sunday. And by the next Friday, they were laying down the life of Christ. Today, we're going to talk about the expectations that all of us have, much like the Israelites had, and how we can bring our expectations in line with Christ's. Turn with me over to the book of Matthew and continuing with our theme on the cross the title of of today's sermon is Crosstown Crosstown that's what Jerusalem was to Jesus the Crosstown though the people when they when they were following him on the way to Jerusalem all the way from Galilee down through the, the region of Samaria in Jericho, boy, they they were hoping that Jerusalem was the throne town, the place upon which Jesus would set up his kingdom and reign. But it was the town of the cross for Christ. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, and then we're going to look at Matthew 21, verse 9. We're going to start at verse 17. And go all the way through 19. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples by themselves. And on the way he said to them, Behold, verse 18, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. 21 verses 9 through 10. And the crowds ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this man? Lord, help us as we study Somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight months out Jesus began to prepare the disciples for what was going to happen The inevitable purpose of his coming To die on the cross for the sins of mankind Prior to that There was not much mention Of his death Only beautiful explanation of his miraculous power excellent messages about the kingdom, teaching about a new order, a new perspective about what the covenant meant from the old now to where he was, from the time of Moses to him. But around about eight months before he knows he's going to die, he begins to prep the disciples with what's going to happen because he doesn't want them to be surprised. And his hope is that they would maybe insert some faith into the inevitable occurrences. He was prepping them, hoping that they would understand something deeper than the masses. It's not that his efforts didn't work, it's just that they weren't received. He did a great job. And here in Matthew chapter 20, he says that we believe, at least accounted in Scripture, the third time. He said it in Matthew 16, The other synoptic Gospels, Mark and Luke, he says it many times. And here he says it in Matthew 20. I want you to know, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. And when I go this time, it's not going to be pretty. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be delivered over by my own brothers, the Jews, to the Romans. And they're going to scourge me. They're going to beat me. And then they're going to crucify me. On the third day, I'm going to be raised. Now... The disciples, they were listening to this, but they couldn't figure out how in the world this all fit with what they knew to be true about who Christ was. Was there anybody who could stop him? Was there any circumstance he couldn't deal with? How would he allow people to? He is almighty. I mean, Peter, just a few weeks prior to this, had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who can stop you? That was their mindset. And although Christ didn't put a period at the end of, they will crucify him, that's what the disciples heard. He'll be given over to the Jews. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles. The Romans will beat him, scourge him, crucify him, period. They didn't hear anything about third day rising. No, no, no. Just beat him, scourge him, crucify him. So much so when Peter heard Jesus say this the first time he said may it never be wait wait you don't want me to rise is that what you're saying you don't want me to rise you don't want me to get up out of the grave no, no 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 no. I don't know anything about that I just know the bad stuff's coming and I don't want you to do that I don't want you to go through that there's no point in that may it never be and so everybody ignored much of what he said though he tried to prep them And here he comes into Jerusalem. Now, the masses had no clue, but the disciples should have. They were close to him. Now, I'm going to give the disciples a small pass. And that being, they were as dim-witted as we are. (laughs) They didn't know. I mean, they couldn't figure it out. It's not like they read all the Old Testament passages and were able to interpret what Isaiah 53 meant or Psalm 40 when he says I've come to do your will oh my God a body you have prepared for me they didn't know what all that was the Holy Ghost hadn't inspired them or he had and they had rejected it because they had their own ideas about who Jesus was and what he ought to do for them they had their own ideas about who Jesus was and what he ought to do for them Now, I know you can't identify with the disciples in that respect at all. (laughs) But just do your best to vicariously live through what I'm saying and try to figure out their mindset. They had plans. This Messiah, he's going to set up a kingdom there in Jerusalem. And after this point, James and John had their mama. When I'm not talking about the point of Hosanna talking about the point when Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and die in the James and John had their mama come and say, I want to know if my boys can sit on your right and left when you get in your kingdom. And Jesus says, well, that's really not mine to give. But if they can drink the cup that I'm going to drink, maybe, maybe the Father will place them there. Hey, boys, you You willing to drink? Absolutely. (laughs) Ain't no hill for a high-stepper? Absolutely. That's what my daddy used to tell me. They had no idea what he was talking about. All they had was male bravado. I can do anything. I can press through. They didn't know it meant death. They didn't know it meant rejection, ultimate rejection. They had plans about what Jesus was going to do for them. And when he comes to our lives, we want him to set up his throne. and We want him to rule. But we have an agenda. We have some things we'd like him to fix. And, and most of the things we want him to fix aren't us. Other people. Employment opportunities fix my unemployment, fix my money, fix my health. Nah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not so messed up as you need to concentrate on me, my soul. No, 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 no. I want you to fix my life. We have expectations. And those expectations need to be brought in line with the purposes of God for our life lest we get so disappointed we are tempted to fall away and think God does not care about me he's not interested he hasn't followed my plan now in this passage they were all shouting in, in Matthew 21 Hosanna save 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 and, and, and he was going to save but he wasn't going to save like they thought he should save he was going to save them eternally but they wanted to save him to save them temporarily save us from Rome Save us from Herod. Save us from persecution. Save us from oppression. Do something about my circumstances now. And they were praising him on the basis of what they thought he could do for them. And as good as we try to be in our intentions of worshiping Jesus, we must constantly reevaluate our priorities and our expectations so that we don't begin to think he is our servant. We are his. No level of maturity should ever change, juxtapose those positions. You don't get to the point where now you ever get to call the shots because you've been walking with him so long. You submit your life to him daily. That never is something you grow out of. Our expectations need to be wound around his. We're not asking him to meet our needs. We're constantly, at least should be, saying, God, what can I do to make you happy? Save now should be our cry. Hosanna, that's what it means. Save now. Save me from me. Save me from messing up my church. Save me from messing up my family. Save me from messing up other people's lives. Lord, save me from me today. I rarely ask God to save me from the devil. Can't remember ever praying that prayer. He's not strong enough to take me unless I give me to him. He just doesn't have that kind of power. Powerful he is, but that which he comes to, to exert in terms of power is external in its orientation and it is that which God has already given me the ability to defeat by submitting to him because James says, submit to God. Make sure you submit because the enemy prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Submit to God, resist the devil and he will what church? Flee from you. It's not about how hard you hit the devil, it's how much you submit to God. That doesn't mean you don't fight and tell the devil, no, I ain't going that way today. You are not taking me that way today. But it is all based on your submission to the Father, not on your strength of spiritual warfare against the enemy. He just didn't have that much strength. My job is to submit to God every day of my life. Every day. And for the better part of 32 years, that's what I've been doing. Submitting God. Submitting to God every day. I'm your boy. Save me now. There were people, it says in Matthew 21, that were walking ahead of Christ. There were people who were walking behind Christ. And then as he entered into the city, there was Jerusalem. And all the people in the city were saying, who is this? Three categories of folks. All of whom had wrong expectations. The people who were walking in front of Christ. Those who walk in front of Christ have an idea about where he's going and they are hoping he follows them. (laughs) We get ahead of the Lord in our agenda. We come with our prayers already programmed about what we want God to do. And we are just, he's, he's, he's in line with the way I'm thinking. Come on, Lord, let's go. Let's go. We're in front of Jesus. And every once in a while we look around and make sure he's still following. <laughs> we know sort of where he's going and we're headed in the right direction. He's going to, but we are ahead of him. We have an idea about what he wants to do. The next step he's going to take, he very well might just veer a few degrees off to the left. And if he does, we're still going straight. And we missed it. We cannot get ahead of Jesus. These people had expectations that God was going to follow them in their agenda. And he doesn't do that. He's got his own idea about what's best for you, and that is always right. You don't need to get out ahead of him. You need to walk with him. And then, then there were the people who were following behind. Now, that seems to be a, a pretty good place to be. But, but, but they were following behind him much like a buggy follows a horse that is pulling the buggy. Who's directing who? See, the buggy following the horse has a dude behind the horse sitting in the buggy with some reins. And he's telling the horse which way he wants the horse to go. Now, the horse is in front, but the man behind is directing the path. See, there's a way you can follow that just ain't quite right not quite right. You're still trying to direct Jesus in the way you want him to go. The way you want your life to go. Hold, hold, hold up, Lord. Ho ho wait, 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 wait. Hold it. <laughs> We're not going that way, are we? No, no, that can't be God. That cannot be. You don't want me to do that. No, no. Here, turn right. Turn right. <laughs> oh, Lord, look, look at that good looking man. Turn left. Turn left, Lord. Turn left. Boy, she is gorgeous. God, please let me have her. You beginning to direct. Lord, I need that job. Let's go this way. Oh, you're following. You call yourself a believer. You going to heaven. Your ticket is punched. That's not the issue. But you haven't gotten the following thing right. And you are there like the man on the buggy directing the horse where you want it to go. Oh, Jesus, we're with you. Just keep going and we're going to follow you straight to the throne. And everybody wanted to get on the political campaign. Folks were trying to figure out, oh, if I get close enough, maybe I can get me a job in his administration. <laughs> maybe he'll remember me if I shout Hosanna loud enough. Oh, he's going to do something for me. Simply because you're following behind doesn't mean you're following right. In Luke chapter 9, <clears throat> there was a man who came, in fact, three, three guys, but, but we're going to concentrate on one, the guy who came to him and said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, um, foxes have, have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You still want to come? Now, he wasn't talking about a place to bed down. Jesus had many, he was not homeless. And contrary to popular belief, he wasn't poor. It, it, let me give you some background. Jesus was a carpenter for, for the better part of his occupational life. Let's say from the age of 13, because kids get trained early then, all the way to 30 when he began his ministry. So you're talking about 17 years trained by his dad probably now just what kind of carpenter do you think Jesus was (laughs) could there have been any better if you wanted a chair made and you lived anywhere close who would you go to he was the absolute he knew how to pick out the right wood that wouldn't warp not just because he eyed it because he made it Are you listening to me? This man was something. Do you think he had any problems in business? Do you think he earned enough money to provide for his ministry before he decided to go? Do you think he had a savings account? Do you think he invested properly and had good mutual funds? I think he was pretty smart in this stuff. Planning well was not a problem for Jesus, he knew he was going to go into the ministry. That man had a storehouse of resources. It's the only wise thing to do. Secondly, it does say that he had a treasury. It's a a thing out of which Judas pilfered. Would continue to steal from. A poor man doesn't have a treasury. And when you talk about the the, the traditional religious way of viewing Jesus as being homeless. He was not homeless. He had a home in Galilee in that area. Whenever he went down to Jerusalem, he stayed at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. It says he stayed in Bethany regularly. And they had a massive home. Wherever he went, he had some place to stay. There was only one time in Scripture where somebody didn't allow him to stay someplace, and that was in Samaria. And that's because they knew, they asked him, where are you going? And they were coming from Galilee, going down through Samaria. Samaria was about, let's say, halfway point, And then into Jerusalem. And they said, where are you going? They said, Jerusalem. And because the Samaritans didn't like the, the people in Jerusalem, they wouldn't let him stay. But that had nothing to do with him not having a home. That's just, the, he, the, the, no vacancy. The hotel was full. The town didn't want him. It was prejudice. It was bigotry. Yeah. But that had nothing to do with his status, his class. Jesus was fairly well to do. He wasn't talking about I don't have any place to sleep. He was saying, foxes have homes birds in the nests have roosts they've got places that they can call their very own where they rule the son of man has nowhere to lay his head meaning the people to whom he was sent would not take his authority his headship sent to the Jews, that was his home those people were his people, he was to rule them but the son of man Jesus said, nobody's going to receive my authority. Now, you're basing your decision to say I will follow you wherever you go on the fact that I have some authority to uproot Rome and uproot Herod. And indeed I do, but I'm not going to use it like you think. Nobody's going to receive my headship. How do you like me now? You still want to follow? You said you'd follow me wherever I go. Let's go. Follow me to death. Uh, <laughs> let me rephrase that. Can I go ahead and just kind of re- rewind the videotape? I'll follow you if you follow me. That's what he was saying. You follow my plan for your life and I will follow you. But if you have a plan that doesn't fit with my plan, hey, ain't follow it. And we know that whatever this guy decided, because it doesn't say what he decided in Luke chapter 9, we know the inevitable, the result was this, he didn't follow, because there was nobody who was left there at the the place of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, but Jesus, everybody left. And the only people who were at the cross were Mary, his mama. John, who had the courage to come back and find his clothes, The night before it says he ran, he ran so strong the, the, the people who were trying to catch him ripped off his clothes. The boy went out streaking, found some new clothes and showed up at the cross the next day. And then the, the, we believe the mother of uh, James and John and then uh, Mary of Magdalene. Those are the only four people we believe were at the cross. Where in the world was the dude who said, I'll follow you wherever you go? Jesus will disappoint you he will disappoint you but it's not because he doesn't fulfill his will for your life it's because he didn't fulfill yours he will disappoint you and you will have more than enough opportunity to say bye I can't follow like that it hurts too much I thought this was supposed to be my inheritance. I thought this was supposed to be where you wanted to bless me. And all I find is pain. Welcome to Christianity. Welcome. It's not that Christianity doesn't have any element of fulfillment in it. It's that it's not about fulfilling your desires, but his. And that's why he says, come to the cross first and die. And let me begin to, to raise things up on the inside of you that are proper in their orientation to desire. Psalm 37.4 says the Lord gives you. The psalmist says the Lord gives me the desires in my heart. That doesn't mean he gives you what you want. There ain't nothing in the Bible that ever hints to that. I wish there was a verse we could find that did though. I'd love to to live like that. But he doesn't give me what I want. And, and, And wonderful is he that he doesn't. That means he gives me the things I should desire. He gives me the desires that I need to desire in my heart so that when I begin to desire, I desire what he wants. And then I get the desires of my heart. Jesus will disappoint you every day. I'm sorry to mess up the beginning of your holiday resurrection season, but he will disappoint you every day until your desires become his. And the reason he does that is because the things you desire are either too small or too wrong. Too small or too wrong. That's it. We don't think right. We don't think big enough. We, we think we ought to go, go left when he says go right. And when he redirects us, it's painful. Because everything on the inside of us wanted to go that way. Jesus will disappoint you. So you got the people who were in front saying, follow me. You got the people who were behind saying, go this way. And then you got the crowd in Jerusalem It says, what's going on? Who's this? What's all this? Why is the city in an uproar? What kind of man is it? who is this? And may I ask to the people who are in front that are saying, follow me. And to the people who are behind saying, come this way. And to the people who are saying, who is this? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he? He's God Almighty. He's not just your Savior. He's not just the one to deliver you out of all the stuff into which you get and you can't get out of. He's not the one who just forgives you for your sin and punches your ticket to heaven. He's God Almighty and he is deserving of your allegiance your thoughts, your actions your heart intent he's deserving of it all but he is the God who expects that if you are going to follow him that you follow him according to his map come to the cross first you can't follow him Properly unless you come to the cross first cross first Jerusalem was his cross town experience it was a place that nobody else wanted to go to the unthinkable you need to make sure that your first encounter with God every day is the cross not just when you gave your heart to him ten years ago, five years ago, yesterday. But your first encounter every day is the cross. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Because you are God Almighty. And I choose to serve your way, not mine. We come to the cross first. Who is Jesus to you? He's not a divine bellhop. He's not the fellow that you ping when you want something done to your life, when you want something delivered to you, and then when he you know what's, you know what's amazing, my God, is that sometimes he will let you think he is, because he loves you so much. <laughs> ping. And he comes to deliver you and help you and bring you stuff. Has he not blessed you? Has he not answered that prayer to get you out of the situation into which you got yourself? Even though you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain. Because whenever we pray those prayers, God, deliver me. There's always this. And I'll go to church every day. And I'll read my Bible every day. And I'll serve you, Lord. And I'll become a nun. I'll become a priest. I'll go to the mission field. Lord, just get me out of this. Whatever promise you made. Oh, you didn't fill. And it's not like God didn't know you wouldn't be good on your word. He knew you wouldn't, but he just mercifully, because he cares about you, got you out of your stuff. He's amazing. He's amazing. Sometimes he does answer our bells. And we hardly ever give him a proper tip. because the only proper tip is our life you answered me here my life is yours who is he to you if he's your servant you'll never serve him properly if he's God almighty then you will position yourself best to make him happy and you cannot do that unless you first come to the cross